There are times in a believer's life, and I, I use the word in the plural sense, times, <clears throat> because I don't think you ever outgrow the test and the temptations. It's often hard to determine where these things come from. The Lord tests us to mature us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to grow us. The devil tempts us that we might stumble and fall and quit. So uh, going on as our theme, you have a little outline. Um, there, there's nothing very unique or special about that. It will just be used to sort of give us a flow through, through the messages. I'm endeavoring to uh, cover the subjects that are here uh, in this little seven-verse portion of Paul's letter to Timothy in chapter 2, but uh, you will understand if we deviate from time to time uh, as the Lord may direct us, but this is, this is sort of the place that we're going. I can remember uh, four distinct circumstances in my life where if it were not for the grace of God, I would not be here today. Now you might remember more or less, but four distinct circumstances in my life. <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to take a few minutes to, to uh, talk about one or, or two of those. Uh, the whole time is not focused on me this morning, but I think you can relate to these things. I was saved uh, just before my 25th birthday, and <clears throat> I had the opportunity of attending, as I told you last night, uh, an evangelical church in Birmingham, Alabama. And during the time that I was there, I, I was very busy. I told you last night I went to six Bible studies a week. Well, uh, I was working as well, so I was working uh, five days a week, going to Bible studies six nights a week, uh, and to the uh, church meeting uh, both morning and evening on Sunday. So I was in sort of a immersion program, <laughs> total immersion, you might say. But I needed that because I had been, uh, I, I couldn't even remember the last time I'd been in a church when I got saved. And, uh, and so I needed a new start. And, and that really happened for me. On one occasion, and I don't know how it happened because I shouldn't have had any free time. Idle hands of the devil's workshop and whoever came up with that certainly probably experienced it and, and maybe you have too. Um, and, and that is, uh, I'm driving down through downtown area of Birmingham, Alabama one evening and <clears throat> I noticed a pool hall. Now that wouldn't mean anything to you but I had lived practically, in pool halls before, uh, by the grace of God, I got saved. So I've got a tug that way. I've, I've, got, <clears throat> I've got the old man says, oh, a pool hall, you know. Now, I, I hadn't been saved very long, probably less than a, than, well, I was going to say less than a month. It probably was less than a month. And <clears throat> um, I thought, well, I'm just going to walk in. I'm just going to just see what's in there. 
I'd been in most pool halls throughout LA. The year before I became a Christian, um, uh, I lived in North Hollywood, California, and I don't know how many different pool halls I went there. So that, that was my hangout. Nevertheless, I walk into this place. I knew I shouldn't have walked in there. Uh, I'm a new cre creation in Christ. Uh, the old things are to pass away. Nevertheless, I walked in. And I walked in, and I walked up to the guy that was behind the counter there, and I said, who is the best pool shooter in this pool hall? And they said, that guy back there on the back table. And I said, oh, thank you very much. So I went back there. I don't know what I was going to do. I don't know what I, I know. I should have been, I shouldn't have even been in there. So now everything's wrong. Okay. So <clears throat> I walked back there and, and the fellow who he pointed out to me, who was the best pool shooter was already engaged in a game with somebody else. So I sat and watched for, I don't know, maybe, maybe an hour, maybe less. I figured out right away that what the guy was doing. And I thought this is going to be a long process. This is like bleeding someone the guy's winning about three out of every five games and it'll take him a while but he'll take every penny the other guy's got eventually he'll get him when you live like that you know what's going on so i, I got up and i walked up to the front and i thought well th there's nothing here that i could do tonight and so i asked the man at the desk i said what's that guy's name he said, uh, the, the guy on the back table, I said, the guy you said is the best pool shooter here. So I, I said, what's his name? He said, oh, I don't know his name. He, he frequents this place, but nobody knows his name. We just call him the book man. I said, book man? Yeah, you know, he says he sells Bibles on the street door to door. Now, again, the pool hall would have meant nothing to you, and probably that statement wouldn't have meant anything to you, but that was a crossroads in my life that night. I had the draw to go back. And all of a sudden, just because this man says to me, in a place where I should not have been, this man sells Bibles, all of a sudden, the, it hit me again, Joe, this is not your life anymore. I shudder to think what would have happened if that back table would have been open that night. If that man would have been waiting on a game that night. If I had not walked out of there that night. I doubt very seriously I'd be here. Grace of God kicked in. And I am what I am. By the grace of God. One other uh, out of these four distinct, one, one other, and then I'll, I'll get to preaching. Excuse me for rambling on. <clears throat> In 1979, uh, my wife and I, was the first time we fellowshiped among the assemblies as we know them called the Brethren Assemblies or New Testament churches, however you distinguish them. 
we went to a little assembly where they'd never had a full-time worker and we, we'd never been one. <laughs> so we, neither one of us knew what to do, you know. Uh, I worked there for four years without being commended. I didn't even know you should have been commended. I just, we were full-time three years in a little Bible school. We saw New Testament church principles. We moved on uh, to an assembly that uh, were practicing as best they could those uh, principles. And, <clears throat> you know, it's like anything. Uh, you're the new guy on the block, and the first uh, year we were there, everything was great, and then reality sets in, you know. And uh, I, I was having some struggles with uh, a man in the oversight. He and I were not seeing eye to eye, and it got worse and worse and worse. And one day he said to me, why don't you just go back to work like everybody else and make yourself a living? I remember coming home. I said to my wife, I am done. I am through. I, I don't need this. My goodness, here I am trying to do the Lord's work and all I get is discouragement, discouragement, and discouragement. I quit. I'm through. I am out of here. Now, my trade was sheet metal work. I apprenticed four years in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, and got my journeyman's uh, certificate. Uh, three or four houses down from where we live was a sheet metal shop. I had already met the guy. We had been there. He was not a believer, but uh, I knew him well enough to know that uh, if I went down there and said, uh, you got any work for me? He'd say, oh yeah, I got some work for you. You can do this. And I said to her, I'm out of here. I quit. I'm not going back. And I'm going down and I'm getting a job. So I left. Probably about a half hour later, I came back. She said, well, what happened? I said, the Lord wouldn't let me do that. Not that I'm afraid of working or that I couldn't get a job or that, but I knew that the Lord had called me out of the secular work so that we would have time to, more time to do this kind of work. I wanted to quit. I wanted to just say, I don't need the hassle. And again, I am sure that if it were not for the grace of God, there's nothing wrong with sheet metal work and nothing wrong with serving the Lord in a secular job. I understand that. But everyone has a calling. That was a turning point in my life. I had to decide whether I was either going on or if I was going to quit. Now, your experiences might be similar to that with different dates and different themes, but we're all challenged. And you know what? It doesn't get any easier the older you get. I thought, my goodness, by, by the time you get to be a, a senior citizen in the things of God, you will probably have it down pat. I don't find that. I don't know how you find it. I, I find that I probably see more sin in my life today than I've ever seen in my life. And my eyes are opened and... The, we do know the grace of God in our lives, but it never gets easy. There's always something to distract you or stumble you or interrupt your day. 
or, or, or cause you to be preoccupied with something else. It is a determination that we must continually go on. So let's take our Bibles. I'm going to read for you the first seven verses of 2 Timothy. And I want you to think about it like this. <clears throat> as, as far as we know, or as far as I can tell, at least in this particular uh, epistle that Paul writes, he addresses it to his son in the faith, Timothy. It's almost like this is it. This is almost Paul's um, last opportunity to uh, encourage this young man to go on. It's as though he's got the baton and he's going to hand it to this young man. He would tell us in chapter 4, the time of my departure is at hand. I'm, I, I've, I've fought a good fight. I've, fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. and I, I'm ready to go. But Timothy, you're not ready to go. It's, it's time for you to, to take it up. The doctrines, the work, the teaching, the person of the Lord Jesus and, and, and run with it, son, and pass it on. Okay, that's the idea. And so I want to sort of, in, 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 that, in that atmosphere, uh, I'd, I'd like for us to think about these various aspects of going on. And I've listed them for you in this little outline. Let me read it for you, and then we'll briefly look at the outline. Verse 1, chapter 2, 2 Timothy. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. <clears throat> in Matthew chapter 16, the Lord Jesus Christ reminds his disciples that he's going to build his church. And he makes this statement, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. All my life, I never understood that verse. Um, I, I, I thought that he was saying that the church is so strong and the walls are so thick and the armor is so great that the gates of hell could never penetrate. They can never get in. They can never conquer. The gates of hell shall not prevail. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, I think it's just the opposite. I think the idea of the verse is this, that we got the ball. We got the gospel. We are commissioned to go into all the world, and when we hit enemy territory, and when we hit the bulwarks of the dark, 
when, when we infiltrate behind enemy lines, when we're up against it and we're moving forward, the gates of hell shall not prevail. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation, and we move in, and we move through, and we move out. We go on. We don't crouch. We don't hide. We don't um, uh, just hold the fort until the Lord comes. The church of our Lord Jesus Christ is, is moving out and moving on. Um, we, we have a tendency to slack off. We, we have a tendency to be complacent. Uh, someone said recently, uh, now are you burning white hot for Christ? Well, I, I'd want to. I, I'm not, you know, like a thousand percent sold out or anything like that, but I'd like to be. Are you frigid? Are you cold? Do you do nothing for the Lord? Well, no, no, I'm not like that. Well, if you're not burning white hot and if you're not cold, you know where you are. Lukewarm. Well, we need to be hot or cold, folks, and we certainly don't need to be cold. <laughs> we need to be burning white for the Lord Jesus, and this is our desire. Not that any of us are there, and we're in good company. The Apostle Paul said, I'm not yet apprehended, but this one thing I do, I, I press on. I keep going. I don't quit. I don't lay down the weapons. I don't take off the armor. I don't stop and have the coffee break. I continue on. I continue on. The first two uh, verses in this little outline are, are challenging verses uh, taken from John 8 and from Luke 14. I just remind you of them again. The first says to go on is to continue in the word. The second says to count the cost. You know, as a young Christian, I wasn't even able to count the cost. <laughs> I didn't even know what the cost was. It's just like we stand uh, before <clears throat> a preacher or someone and we say, I do, and I will. <laughs> we don't have a clue what we're saying, really, you know. Like, we're in love and we think we want to spend the rest of our life with this person. And by the grace of God, if you're both saved when you got married, you had a good kickstart. You had the Lord in the thing. But, but most of the time, we don't realize what that means. We, we take a step of faith and we say, I do and I will. In sickness or in health. In poverty. Or blessing. So we go on in our marriages by the grace of God. As a believer, we go on through death, through heartaches, through heart attacks, <laughs> through relationship breakdowns. How do you handle it when there's a relationship problem and you realize you're part, part of the problem? <laughs> when you realize maybe the problem is you, <laughs> how do you handle that? Through finance disasters, through health, through failure, through disappointment, through frustration. You see, the one that continues in the word, the one who evaluates as best they can, whatever stage they are in their Christian life, what the cost is and decide to pay the cost and go on, then you're a disciple. 
That's what Jesus said. You're the real deal. You're not someone who just says it. You're not someone who just goes to church on Sunday morning. If I can even be more specific, you're not someone who just remembers the Lord every Sunday. And in no way do I want to minimize that. But our life for the Lord Jesus is a continual 24-hour-a-day awareness of who we are and who he is and what he has called us to do. We go on. A little child is learning to walk. Try to count how many times they fall down. You lose count. But you know what? They get up. And they take another step, and they fall down, and they get up, and they fall down. And then, and then they get into this stage where they go, and they stabilize themselves. <laughs> and you go, wow, did you see that? <laughs> they didn't fall. You know, they almost fell. Christian life's like that. We fall down. I don't know how many times I've fallen down. I don't know how many times I've gotten up. But I know that by the grace of God, I'm learning to walk spiritually. I'm learning to stabilize somewhat. <laughs> I'm not as unstable as I once was in my Christian life. But we go on. We keep going. I had a lot of friends who made professions of faith about the same time I did. Most of them were done. I, I, I can't explain it. I don't know why. Why me? I'm nothing special. I haven't done anything unique. But I do know that by the grace of God, when I got saved, I thought, this is real. <laughs> The Lord has changed my life. The, the least I could do is to try to live for him. And so we go on. In the first verse of this chapter, I've entitled this section, My Source of Strength as I Go On. I don't know what you think about grace, how you define it. We have all kind of little definitions and cliches and things that we uh, so quick to uh, say about grace. And most of them, as far as I can tell, they're pretty accurate, pretty good. Um, let me give you some more, <laughs> if I can, and maybe add uh, to your list of definitions of grace. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> First of all, I got out my online Bible computer and found out that grace is mentioned 163 times in the King James Version. The first time is in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8. Noah found grace. And the last time is in Revelation 22 and 21. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Now, <clears throat> let me give you some definitions and then give you a, a compilation of these definitions to try to put them together. Uh, here's some. Uh, number one, grace. God's free, unmerited favor 
graciously bestowed upon the unworthy and the sinful. Here's another one. God is love, but when he bestows that love on guilty, unclean, rebellious sinners, then that is grace. Here's another one. Grace is God showing nothing but love and mercy when we deserve nothing but wrath and judgment. It is God bending toward us in infinite love. Here's another one. <clears throat> love that looks up is adoration. Love that is on its own level is affection. Love that descends is grace. Here's another one. Grace is God's free love and unmerited favor imparted to men through Christ. So I tried to put all this together, and this is what I came up with. If man could do anything to get God's attention in any way, that God would move toward that man with his goodness, it would no longer be grace. When speaking of God's grace toward man, the matter of human merit or deserving is utterly removed and excluded. It is freely bestowed by God apart from man's deserving. Grace is the free, spontaneous, unmerited, unmeritable love of God to sinful man. Most of you would agree with that. Maybe you'd word it a little bit different, but I think we get the point. It is that which we do not deserve. He gives and he gives and he keeps giving. And when the burdens grow greater, the grace grows greater and his grace is sufficient and it's over and over and over and over and over. Now we all agree with that. The problem is in reality, we struggle with it. I'm going to prove it to you. We think if we do something really, really good, God's going to be really, really better to us. You say, now, wait a minute, Brother Joe. There's, there's blessing for obedience. Yes, there is. But grace is when we don't deserve it, folks. You can't deserve it. If, if I could do anything to deserve a little bit of it, just God, show me a little more, uh, then that's not grace and then the flip side is well you got grace do anything you want to big deal you know and of course the scriptures echo back to us shall we continue in sin that grace may abound <laughs> and then the very strong answer comes back God forbid how shall we who is saved by grace continue in sin that grace may abound. Uh, folks, uh, we're, the Lord Jesus said we're best unfaithful servants, so don't get your head too big. <laughs> I mean, none of us can brag. What are you going to brag on? We're going to brag. We're going to boast on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the Apostle Paul would write to us, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross and the work 
in the grace of our Lord. I find it rather interesting that in this section, as as Paul now uh, hands down, hands off, gives over last minute instructions to Timothy in this chapter, he says, now here's the way you've got to do it. Be strong in grace. You know why I think he says that? Because everything else in life will fail. It'll fail. He didn't say be strong in your ministry. Probably had a pretty good ministry. However, you go back to chapter 1, verse 15. Paul says, at the end of my ministry, it wasn't a very good record. All they in Asia have been turned away from me. That's not a very good line at the end of a day's work, of a life's work. Uh, he didn't say, now, Timothy, you be strong in yourself. You, you got a good, solid upbringing. You knew the gospel as a child. You were raised by a godly mother and grandmother. Uh, uh, you, you tagged along with me. I've discipled you. I've encouraged you. Now, you, you're, you're a good man. You're strong in the Lord. You're a strong personality. Now, you be strong in No, no. He didn't even tell him to be strong in the word of God. As much as we should read the word and the word of God should be a part of our lives, it should, it should ooze out of our pores in every aspect of our life. You see, there'll be a time when you don't know enough of the word of God. <laughs> I mean, how many times have you visited somebody or uh, on a sick bed or in a hospital or in a depressed or desperate situation and you try to give them the word of God and you go... <laughs> Uh, I can't even believe anymore. There, there is one thing, however, that never fails. There's one thing that never lets you down. There's one thing that never disappoints you. And the, and the unique thing about it is you, do, you never deserve it. You get it when you shouldn't get it. You get it when you know you shouldn't get it. You get it when you realize you have failed and, and, and I have desperately disappointed my loved ones my family uh, my church family and ultimately the Lord I've so disappointed or perhaps disgraced him grace kicks in because you can't deserve it you don't deserve it and you can't earn it and God says I love you, and I'm going to help you out of this situation. I'm going to work where you cannot work. You have failed, but I never fail. You have stumbled. I don't stumble. You quit. I don't quit. And bruised reeds, I don't break. And smoking flax, I don't quit. And I'm going to show you something here you've never dreamed of. The other interesting part about grace here is that this is in what we call the passive voice. It's not, I'm going to be strong in grace. (laughs) Not me doing it. It's let grace strengthen you. It is grace that is doing the action, and I'm receiving the benefits of this. 
You say, well, that's easy. You just sit back and let God do it. No, it's not easy. I'll tell you why. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one have turned to their own way. We are basically very proud and very self-centered people. Now, you look like real spirit-filled Christians here this morning, and you're probably saying, well, that's not me. See, that's pride saying that. That's the problem. And so when we know we don't deserve it, and we know we shouldn't get it, and, and God's grace is poured out on us, we go, no, 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 I can handle this. It's all, I don't need that. That's all, I, don't, I don't need you to do this. I'm, I can do this. And we don't even want it when God gives it to us sometimes. It is only afterwards that you look back and you see how miserably you failed and how hopeless you were and and by the grace of God you made it through that time or that circumstance or over that hill or whatever it was and all of a sudden it dawned on you how did I make it how did I get here oh it was grace <laughs> it was the unmerited love and favor of God I don't know who coined the phrase. I've heard it for years. You couldn't do anything to make God love you anymore. And you couldn't do anything to make God love you any less. He has loved you with an everlasting love. He has manifested that love at Calvary. Um, the scriptures are full of these things. Let me just remind you of a few of them. Um, let, let me put the beginning and the end. You start with grace, you know that, for by grace are you saved, you know that. And you end with grace. And all through your life, grace kicks in. Salvation came by grace in Titus. We're called by grace in Galatians. We're saved by grace in Ephesians. We're justified by grace in Romans. Uh, we uh, are served by grace uh, in Hebrews. We're established by grace in Hebrews. Um, we are uh, helped. Man, I got to get better glasses or write bigger in these notes here. Um, we're established by grace. We grow in grace and we hope in grace and it goes on and on and on so we could say as Paul says then if if we knew if we're not proud if, if we're humble if we allow this grace to work in our life we don't sin and then count on it we, we try to keep short's account with the Lord but when we fail we know that underneath are the everlasting arms well, there, there's always backup. God is, is always there. I don't, I don't intend to use it. I don't, I don't consciously fail so that grace can pick me up. But listen, it is there. The unmerited favor of God. Strengthened by grace. We draw near by grace. And, and Acts 13 says we continue by grace. But I, I, I want to show you uh, this one here. Go to the book of Acts again, chapter 11. Acts 11. I don't know if you've ever thought of this aspect of grace. But let me share this with you. You 
you remember that Stephen has been stoned, first church martyr. The believers in Jerusalem have scattered, frantically left because of persecution. Some of them went 200 miles north to Assyria and to Antioch in Assyria. And when they got up there, they've got no apostles and they got no prophets and they got no preachers and they got no evangelists and they got no elders. If I could, if I could um, illustrate this way, a bunch of scared sheep. But interestingly enough, at the end of verse 20 of Acts 11, it says they were preaching the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then the tidings of these things came, I think it's the only time it's used in the scriptures, came to the ears of the church. <laughs> Somebody's listening, uh, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, where they were, who when he came and had seen the grace of God. You can see it. You can see grace. How did he see grace? He saw the people of God frightened, timid, weak, frail, shy, quietly, somehow, upholding the name of Jesus Christ in the midst of a very, very difficult situation. Let's suppose for a moment that uh, persecution came to your city and, and you had to leave. You may have left without some family members, but you had to leave. And uh, when you got to the next place, your refugee camp, wherever that was, whatever city you have uh, made it to, whatever place of safety, you've gotten far enough away from the danger, uh, probably most of us would say, now we were persecuted in Jerusalem because of our faith. The last thing we're going to do is mention the name of Jesus here. But that was not the case. They mentioned the name of Jesus again. And the hand of the Lord was with them. Grace. Grace. So Barnabas comes and he looks around and he says, Wow, look at the grace of God. <laughs> See, the person in front of you, beside you, behind you here today, if, if they had a chance to tell their story, you know what their story is full of? Grace. Grace. Can we not then be strong, allow that sphere of the person of Jesus Christ himself, the grace of God, can we not let that impact our life? Can we not let that encourage us to go on? We, we, we know not what tomorrow holds. I'll tell you, the ink is dried in yesterday's print and tomorrow may never be written. I do have today. If I think too much about tomorrow, it scares me. But there's one thing that's, that's under it all and over it all and around it all, and that is the grace of God. Come on, folks, it's real. 
It, it, is, it is what we don't deserve. And God says, I will do that. I will help you. I will bring you through. I will take you to the other side. Uh, I, I will get you over this. Uh, you and I are going to work this out. The grace of, of God takes us through the water. <laughs> the, the grace of God takes us through the fire. The Christ is not the bridge over troubled waters, but the grace of God takes us through to the other side. Everybody's going. We're going all the way, you know. With Christ in the vessel, you can smile at the storm because I'm going all the way. The grace of God. Not in myself, not in my ministry, not in my knowledge, not in my success, not in my personality, but be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Source of my strength as I go on. Let's pray. Father, I am sure that each believer here this morning can look back on a day when they could have easily been so distracted from the things of God that they might be able to say, if it were not for the grace of God, I wouldn't be here today. Well, then let us appreciate that more. Help us to consciously remind ourselves that his grace is sufficient. That he gives more grace when the burdens grow greater. That he, that is, the Father gives us this grace through his Son, the Lord Jesus. Looking at Christ and blessing us looking at the accomplishments of his son. And we become the beneficiaries of that work. And so it is with these thoughts that we thank you today that your grace is sufficient. We thank you today that you never leave us or forsake us. We thank you today that when we're not even conscious of you, you're always conscious of us. We can't believe it. We certainly can't comprehend it or understand it. But by faith, we press on. And thank you for what you have revealed to us by your word and through your spirit. And Father, I pray for anyone here this morning that is stumbling along the way, perhaps a mountain before them, they see absolutely no way to get over it or around it. They see no help under the sun. It could be their health, their marriage, their children, their finances. Lord, I know we all experience these things. But I pray today that they might allow the grace of God to strengthen them so that they can go on for Christ's sake. Amen.